Folks, we are in a series called Faith in a Hostile World. We're looking at, uh, first, excuse me, Second Peter. We're looking at Second Peter, and we're trying to address the things that threaten our faith. And usually when we think about threatening our faith, we think about what we see on TV. Well, we see this happening and this happening and the culture and this political. No, 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 that, that is not the threat to your faith. That's not it at all. There are actually three threats to your faith that we see being answered in this letter from the Apostle Peter. One is, number one, a misunderstanding of the salvation that you have in Christ. Number two, the influence of false teachers. We see that in chapter two when we get to it. And then number three, a complete misunderstanding of the hope that you have in Christ for later on. And so we've been trying to address that here with this series. And so today we're working our way through chapter 1, and we're going to talk about something that should be serving as a motivation for you. Do you know what I'm saying? Something that should be serving as a motivation for you. Because sometimes we understand motivations, right? Sometimes at work, when the boss wants to get a project done, he'll, he'll dangle a carrot out in front of you and say, if you achieve this, we'll give you a bonus. And so you're like, yeah, I want that bonus. And so you work to do that project to get that bonus. Oftentimes, rewards are a great motivation for you and I to do the things that we're supposed to do, even though we know that we should be doing them anyhow. And God knows that. And so he offers you a motivation. Because why? Why do you and I need to be motivated? Because if we don't watch out, we're just going to be drifting in life just going to be drifting in life. And be honest with you, that's where a lot of us are right now, right? We're just drifting. We're drifting spiritually. And you can get there. It's a routine. I mean, think about it. We live with the routine. Tomorrow's Monday. You get up at the same time. You got your routine down, whether you have your coffee first or you have your shower. Then you have your breakfast, and usually it's the same stuff. You maybe try to, to you know, you log it in if you're watching your weight. Or And you just do your normal thing and you go to work and there's just stuff on the desk waiting for you or whatever you work at. And you come home at the same time and you watch the same shows and you go to bed usually about the same time. And nobody likes change from that. I mean, yesterday we had a crisis in my home because I like to cook my eggs a certain way. And my daughter's home now. She wants hers done. And that was I didn't know how to handle that. And, and they're laughing because they know that's true. It's like, my day just got changed because you want yours, your egg to be hard, not soft. I don't know how to handle that. We don't, we like routine, right? And, and when you have that routine, you can find yourself drifting. So here's two things I want you to think about, okay? Two things. Number one, too often we find ourselves simply drifting through life spiritually. just happens often. Go to church. We regularly attend church, whatever that means to you. Go to church. We give. We pray. Sometimes we find ourselves drifting to the point where our prayer life is only praying before a meal. And we drift. We just find ourselves drifting. In fact, 
Have you noticed that sometimes if you miss one or two gatherings with the church family, soon it becomes three or four gatherings? And then you find yourself saying to yourself, well, when's the last time we did something with the church family? That's drifting. Drifting. We, we find ourselves drifting spiritually. Too often, that's where we're at. Here's the second thing I want you to see. The drifting is a direct result of not understanding the hope that we have in Jesus. It's a direct result. When you and I drift spiritually, it's because we've forgotten some things. It's because we no longer understand some things. It's because we've no longer grasped the hope that we have in Christ. We no longer understand the relationship that we have for, with him. The relationship's not the same anymore. And so we just find ourselves drifting away. And slowly but surely, you wake up one day and you're like, wow, is God even a part of my life anymore? We find ourselves drifting. Now, listen, I'm going to be honest, honest with you. That doesn't shock God. Can, can I tell you that? The fact that you and I would drift in our spiritual lives doesn't shock God. He's not sitting on the throne sitting there, oh, wow, George is drifted. No, he already knew that that was going to take place. Can I be honest with you? God knows that you and I are going to drift in our faith. Do you understand that? He knows that because he knows human beings. He knows that our tendency is to go in a different direction. We were just talking about that in Sunday school this morning, talking about the children of Israel, Moses' last words to them. And God says, you know, Moses, when you die, they're just going to go off into idolatry and I'm going to have to discipline them. God already knows. He knows what the tendencies of our heart is. But I think it's wonderful that even though God knows that, he tries to do things to spark you to head in the right direction. He does things to help you. And one of the things that he does to help you, to motivate you, is to help you to see the hope that you have. And part of that hope is a great reward. Do you realize that there is a great reward awaiting you? We're going to talk about it here. In fact, today, we're just going to look at two verses, okay? We're just going to look at two verses. We're going to look at verses 10 and 11. But I just want to go back to the whole section, first of all, because the very first verse, excuse me, the very first word of, of verse 10 is therefore. So therefore is referring back to something. And what he's referring back to is verses 2 through 9. So let's look at this together. It's going to be up on the screen, okay? Look at what he says, verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceeding 
great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust but also for this very reason giving all diligence add to your faith virtue to virtue knowledge to knowledge self-control to self-control perseverance to perseverance godliness to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love for if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in, your no in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Folks, that's what that word therefore in verse 10 is referring to. He's referring to some truths here, and, I'm, and I call this a foundation. If you and I are going to understand the reward, you need to understand a foundation. So that's what he was doing, and, and in, in verses 2 through 9, he was laying a foundation of truth for you and I to understand our salvation, and he's bringing out three things here. I'm going to emphasize three things. We've already talked about them over the last several weeks. We're going to emphasize them again, because if you just walk out of here with these three things in realizing that's what it is for your salvation you're going to grasp a whole lot here it is number one first of all it's the lord's desire that grace and peace be multiplied to you it's the lord's desire i don't want anyone to walk out of here without this concept okay i want you to listen to me god's desire for you is that grace and peace be multiplied in your life. What's grace? Grace is mercy you don't deserve. Grace is favor that you don't deserve. And, and you need to recognize that. All of us have our issues. All of us have our problems. We all sin against God. But one thing we want from him is what? Mercy. We want his favor. But we don't deserve it, right? But guess what? He still bestows it. What is that? Grace. And it's God's desire that grace be multiplied in your life. Not just one-time grace, but grace upon grace. And aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that grace comes upon grace in your life? But not just grace. God's desire is that peace be in your life. How many, don't raise your hand. How many of you didn't sleep last night because you were worrying about something? And you got up and you're like, man, hopefully I can forget about this. And then you go to breakfast and you're thinking about it. You're thinking about it through worship and you're thinking, it's eating your lunch. It's with you all the time. And peace isn't the thing that is marking your life right now. If anything, it's chaos. And you're overwhelmed. But guess what? He wants what in your life? He wants you to have peace. Why do you think he says in Philippians chapter 4, go to him and pray, and guess what? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God wants you to have peace. See, this is the foundational understanding of truth here for you. First thing, it's the Lord's desire that grace and peace be multiplied in your life. Here's the second thing. The Holy Spirit gives you everything you need for life and godliness. You can take that to the bank. 
You know, I'll be honest with you. Some churches, they like to focus on what they can, quote, what kind of experience they can get from the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Okay, that that's wonderful that they're seeking that, but that's really... Hmm, that's really missing it. Because the Holy Spirit was given to you not so that you can have some kind of experience. It was actually given to you for something so much more. It was given to you so that he could empower you to live your life right now. Empower you to face the stuff that you're facing. Empower you to accomplish the stuff that he wants to accomplish in your life. Stuff that he had already planned before time began. How do we know that? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. He calls you a masterpiece to do works that he had already planned ahead for you. The Holy Spirit gives you everything you need for life and godliness. Do you understand? You're not lacking. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Because a lot of times we'll go to prayer and this is how we pray. Oh God, I need you to help me. I need you to tell me what I need to do here. I need you. God, I need you to give me strength. But you already have it. Everything's right there within you. You just need to access it. Doesn't that change the way you pray? God, help me to interact with the Holy Spirit who, who does strengthen me, who does empower me, who does give me wisdom. See, isn't that wonderful? He, he just doesn't desire grace and peace in your life to be multiplied. He gives it to you through what? The Holy Spirit who empowers you with everything you need for life. That's the second truth, truth the foundation we see there. Here's the third one. We see this in verses 5 through 7. You must make every effort to build upon your faith. You've got to make every effort to build upon your faith. What do you mean build upon your faith? Well, when you look at verse 5, he's saying what? He's saying add to your faith virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. A lot of the things that he's expressing here in these verses, we find those to be the fruits of the Holy Spirit in his life. So it's not like you've got to do this on your own. It's the Spirit who's helping you to do this because this is what the Spirit wants to produce in your life. This is where our focus needs to be, is to be the person that God wants us to be. And to grow. And to grow in these areas. That's the foundation. Now you're sitting there and you're saying, okay, George, wonderful. Great. But why do I do this? What's, why is this so important? Well, verse 10 and 11 Tell us why you need to do this. Tell us why you need to rest in these truths. Because they give you direction for life. Because isn't that what happens when we drift? When we drift, we don't have any direction. We're just kind of drifting down the river. Reminds me, years ago, I used to be a Boy Scout. Okay, This is a long time ago. I mean, how old am I? 40 years ago. Okay, so I was a Boy Scout, and I remember back then the troop, we used to take uh, canoe trips down rivers 
in South Carolina, and we were going down the Watery River, which flows beyond to the to the east of Columbia, where I'm from, and this was over Thanksgiving, and we're going down the river, and and I'll be honest with you, I, I the guy and I who I was with, we weren't into paddling, we were just into drifting. So we're drifting along, and we're paddling, and we're drifting along, and drifting along. And the first night we stopped somewhere and stayed in a cow pasture, the whole troop did. Next day we're going down, and we're drifting, and, and the more we drift, the farther we get behind everybody. So there was a couple of other guys who were drifting in their canoe as well, and we're drifting and we're drifting, and, and sure enough, it got to be dark, and we don't see the troop anymore. They're way ahead of us. So we canoe in the middle of the night trying to catch up with him, and it got to the point where, I mean, this is November, it's dark. We figured, well, we better, we better just pull over, pull up on the bank, sleep wherever we're at, okay? So we set up our tent. The four of us got into the tent. Now, we weren't smart, okay? We, we put our tent up on the bank of the river. That night, it rained. And in the middle of the night, I, I, I was hearing water. Well, you're saying you're by the river. No, no, close water. So I go to the opening of the tent because I'm the oldest in the group. I'm actually the senior patrol leader. And so I stick my hand out and I put my hand into the river. The river had come up 10 feet up the shore. So I got everybody up, we got our, got our tents, and we pulled it up into the wood line, and we went back to sleep. The next day, we're like, okay, where's the canoes? <laughs> now, it's November in South Carolina, and it's still cold down there, And but one of the guys walked down to the end of the bank where we were, what was underwater now, and we saw the canoes in a bend, just kind of going around, and he got in the river, and we got in the canoes, and the story was is we, we made it okay. But here's the thing, guess what? You were drifting, and you created problems, right? Because we didn't have any direction. At least the guy who was supposed to give direction wasn't given direction, right? That's the way we are in life, right? We find ourselves in difficulties because we, we're drifting along spiritually, and then one day we're just relaxing and the river gets up on us, right? I want you to notice some things here in this passage. Okay, Look at verses 10 and 11. Here's what it says. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What we're going to see here, we're going to see four things, okay, that will help you to see the direction that we need for life. Okay, four things. Here's the first one. Comes right out of verse 10. He says, therefore, again, that's referring back to verses 2 through 9. He says, therefore... Brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure. Now, what's he talking about there? i got to make sure I'm saved? Is that what he's talking about? No, he's not talking about that. He's not talking about making sure you're saved. 
He's talking about something actually different than that. He says, you must confirm the reality of salvation with how you live your life. He's talking about how you live your life. You have to confirm the reality of salvation with how you live your life. Do you understand? I, I hear people all the time and they'll say to me, oh, I'm saved. Well, I didn't even know that because I've been working with you now for a couple of years in this factory and you don't live like you're saved. You don't talk like you're saved. You don't even go to church or anything. You just act like everybody else who's not saved. Chances are that person's not saved, folks. See, if you profess, if you say, I'm a believer, then your life has to what, folks? Reflect it. That's what he's talking about here. The purpose for life is to reflect the salvation that we have. If Jesus reached down into your life and saved you because of the faith that he's given you, let your life reflect that. That's what he's talking about here. And, and notice something. He, I mean, the way he uses the words here, it's very important. Be even more diligent. He used that phrase up in verse 5 when he talked about the things that we needed to build our faith upon. He's saying, make, you know, verse 5, give all diligence to add to your faith. Here he's talking about you be even more diligent now to reflect the fact that you are a believer. You've got to confirm the reality of your salvation, how you live your life. Here's the second thing he says. This one throws people for a loop. He says, to make your election sure, if you do these things, here's the phrase, you will never stumble. What? I'll never stumble. Usually we think in terms of we'll never sin. That's not what he's talking about here. The stumbling actually is something reflective of something a little bit more dangerous. Here it is. Focusing on these things will ensure that you will not shipwreck your faith. Focusing on these things will ensure that you'll not shipwreck your faith. That's what he's talking about here, stumbling. The word stumble here is actually a phrase that's used often, especially in the Gospels. It talks about people stumbling at who? At Jesus, the Jews, stumbling in their belief concerning Christ. It's an issue of shipwrecking their faith here. It's an issue of, if you don't take this serious, you could find yourself... Drifting into apostasy. Now, immediately when I say that, somebody's going to say, well, that's not possible. If you're saved, once saved, always saved. If, you, if you're saved, you're not going to lose your salvation. No, I, I agree with that doctrine. We believe that doctrine. But that's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about somebody, because nobody knows who's saved except God. And the person who has faith. Just because you watch somebody pray a, pr pray a prayer doesn't mean that person's saved. You don't know what's going on in their heart. Do you understand? And there are oftentimes people in church who will make a profession, and then you notice them drifting. And usually it's not like a gradual thing. It's a slow fade. They'll drift. They'll drift away. And then finally, they end up doing things that you they'll say one day, I no longer believe. 
Now, what we do then is we try to make excuses for them. We'll say, well, I remember when they prayed a prayer. I'm telling you, you don't know anything. You don't know what goes on in a person's heart. But what Peter is saying here is, is look, you want to be sure of your salvation by the way you live your life. You show by living your life. Because if you do this, you're not going to stumble. That is, you're not going to drift off into apostasy. That's what he's talking about here. You're not going to stumble. And here's why that's so important. Look at the next thing he says there. Actually, there's three things, but this is actually the longest one, okay? The one who overcomes the assault on their faith will be rewarded. Look at what it says, verse 11. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The one who overcomes the assault on their faith. See, what do you mean the assault on your faith? How is that even here? Look, you're talking about Peter, who's at the end of his life. He's going to tell us that a few verses later on. He's at the end of his life, who has endured a lot for Christ, and he's trying to get you to understand that really what we're in is a race. It's not how you start out. It's not the pace you keep during the race. It's the fact that you're heading for the finish line. Do you understand what I'm saying? And yes, you've fallen a few times. You've slipped in the mud. You may be even bloodied. But you keep going on because of faith, your trust in what's coming. And at the end is a great reward. In fact, that's what our message is today, the great reward. And the one who overcomes the assault on their faith will be rewarded. In fact, the picture here is such a great welcome will be there for you. What is he recalling here? Well, remember, at this time, when Peter is writing this letter, he's in Rome. And Rome had a way of throwing a party. And whenever their armies would come back victorious from a battle, they would march into Rome, and all of Rome would gather around and celebrate them as, they, as the victors came marching in to Rome and going to meet the emperor to bring him whatever spoils that they have. They would receive a great welcome. That's what he's picturing here. What does that mean for you and I? Well, I've got several scriptures I want to share with you to help you to understand what it is that should be motivating you to keep going on no matter what life throws at you. And let's be honest, folks, life's going to throw stuff at you, right? And you're going to fall and stumble yourself. But you've got to keep going on. Here's the scriptures. Notice with me. Here's the first one. Matthew chapter 25, verse 21. This is from the parable of the talents. This is where Jesus himself, the master, is rewarding his servants. Look at what it says here. The Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Isn't that going to be a wonderful thing? When you and I finish the race, whatever our life is, and we open up our eyes and we see Jesus, I can't tell you anything more wonderful than to hear him say, well done. You did good. Isn't that awesome? 
I, I know what it's like as a, as, as a, when I was a kid to hear my parents say, you did good. I'm proud of you, right? Isn't that what we live for? That's what Jesus is going to do. Isn't that a welcome? He actually goes a little bit further in the book of Revelation and tells us seven things that are promises, rewards that are given to us. What are they? Well, let's take one at a time. First one is in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. What's he offering there? Wow, eternal life with him in paradise. There's something better than here. And you're going to be there. That's the reward for overcoming. Here's the next one, verse 11. He who has in here, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. You're going to live forever. Yes, you may die physically here, but you're going to live on forever with a new body. You'll not have to fear. You not have to fear being hurt by the second death. The second death is hell, folks. Isn't that awesome? Here, here's the third one. See it in verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name, which is which no one knows except him who receives it. What's he talking about there? Well, he's talking about, I'm going to give him hidden manna to eat. What is that? He's talking about provision. You're going to be taken care of the rest of your life. And number two, I'm not just going to give, I'm going to give you a new name. Now, I've, I've met young people who hate their names. I wish I could change my name. Well, you're going to get a new name. What is it? I don't know. Nobody knows until they go to be with Jesus and he gives them that new name. But that's the promise. A new standing is really what it's talking about. A new position. Provision and position. Isn't that awesome? That's what he's promising you. Here's the next one. Look with me. Verse 26 and 28 of chapter 2. And he who overcomes and keeps my word to the end, I will give power over the nations. And he will rule with them with a rod of iron. And they shall be dashed to pieces like potter's vessel, as I also have received from my father. And I will give him the morning star. What's he talking about That He's given us not just position, he's given us authority. We're going to rule with him. And then he says you're going to have the morning star. What's the morning star? Jesus, you're going to have Jesus yourself. Isn't that awesome? A few more. Here it is. Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. He who overcomes will be clothed in white garments. I will not blot out his name from the book of life, and, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Wow. What's that? Again, eternal life, because you're not removed from the book of life. What else? He's going to talk about you to the Father. Hey! Dad, listen, this is he. This is that girl. This is that guy. Look at what they did. They served you. Isn't that awesome? Let's go on. Verse 12, chapter 3. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. And I will write on him the name of my God, in the name of my city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from God. 
and I will write on him my new name. What's he talking about? We're going to belong to Jesus. You belong to him. You hang on. One final one. Here it is. Verse 21. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Wow. That's the promise. You hang in there. You hang in there. You overcome. You deal with the stuff that's happening in your life. Because why? There's a great reward for you. That's what he's talking about here. So, okay, George, what do we do with this? Well, let me give you two things. Number one, let's just get real practical, okay? I mean, the fact of the matter is, is hopefully you've been hopefully noticing where you're at spiritually. And that maybe you've taken some things for granted. And maybe you're not where you should be, but maybe you want to do something about it. So here's the things. Here they are. Number one, you have to decide that it's time to stop drifting through life spiritually. You have to decide. Uh, and when I'm talking about deciding here, I'm not just talking about a mental decision. I'm talking about an action. Because you and I understand, we could, in our mind, say, oh, yeah, I need to do that. Yeah, I need to do that. That doesn't mean anything. It really doesn't mean anything until you decide by action to do it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Decide. You have to decide it's time to stop drifting through life spiritually. Bottom line, you and I have to do that. Because nothing's going to change unless we do that. In fact, the danger is you might actually find yourself waking up one day like a well-known pastor did here recently and just say, oh, I don't believe in that Jesus thing anymore. Apostasy. Yep. Here's the second one. Start expressing your faith in Jesus with how you live your life. Look, you say you love Jesus? Wonderful. You say you believe in Jesus? Great. You say you have faith? Wow. But you know what's more impressive? Is if that statements that come out of your mouth and in your heart are actually lived out in the way you live your life. Do you understand? I remember years ago when I was a young Christian at the University of South Carolina, we had, we had a Romanian pastor. At that time, Romania was under communist rule. And this Romanian pastor was living in exile. That is, he was expelled out of his country because of his faith. And, and he came and he did a series of messages at the University of South Carolina with this college Christian group that I was with. And he made this statement, and it's forever lived with me. He made this statement. He said, you know where I'm from in Romania? If you as a Christian, because you were sick of the persecution and sick of the people bearing down on you because you were a Christian, if you moved to a new community and you told no one there that you were a Christian... He said, by the end of the week, if they did not identify you as a Christian by the way you lived your life, you probably weren't. 
Wow, isn't that interesting? Because your faith is going to cause you to live differently. So you've got to start expressing your faith with Christ with how you live your life. Okay, George, you want me to walk around with my big Bible, the Bible on my grandma's table? Is that what you're calling me? No, I'm not calling you to do that. That's legalism. That's not what we're talking about here. But I'm going to tell you something. If you focus on the things he just talked about in verses 5 through 7, your life's going to be different because the Holy Spirit is producing in your life what? The fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, meekness. Your life's going to change. Do you understand? In all areas of your life. So start expressing your faith in Jesus with how you live your life. That's what he's talking about here. Let me pray for you.